0: make. A, we desire them to make right choices. We desire them to walk close to the Lord, to uh, live faithful, to, you know, go where we have found life. We've grown, you know, if you've grown up here, mine row, this is there. And But it, it usually turns out not all our children end up at the same church we were at, where we uh, maybe chose to go to and appreciate and have grown. But if that is our goal, then we try to Make it happen. And so we, we desire it and we want it. But the difference is, and often what happens with shaming is, it becomes a goal, and so I'm going to make sure it happens. And so if they don't exactly make the choices I do, then, well, that, that's not, you know, we begin to attack them of who they are or speak about those things to them. I say attack, it's often just with words of. Uh, put down or maybe it just comes across that way and a lot of times it's not even it's not meant that way it's meant for good because we know this is where we these are the choices we made in following God and sometimes it's easy for us to confuse the choices we made in following God and the things we do with who we are. And so sometimes it, it comes across as you should do this instead of this is how we this is what we've done because of who we are in Christ. I don't know if that helps, so yeah, we want to desire we and we rejoice when they make they, they make good choices and that feels good and it looks good, but not just making it look good when it's not good that's the more of the shaming thing yeah okay, mm-hmm. Okay. Mhm. She wanted some stability but maybe didn't shame you that you were leaving the Amish. Mhm. Yeah, there and and that's the challenge as we walk through life and I'm not saying this just with our children that's where I affected uh negatively most but and it's so easy to just say those things carelessly that put another person down. And so and as I look at that and Eliab there what he did to David I think it's just an example that we really need to be careful about. I I see the effects of it, uh, walking with young people. Okay, and again, we can come back to that another time. Let's look here. The subject that I want to look at this evening is repentance. I'd like to go to Luke chapter 15 and begin... Uh, reading tonight in from Luke chapter 15. We know they have the, there's a trilogy here of parables, three parables that Jesus gave of those parables of the things that were lost and are found. And it's kind of a dual theme that I see Jesus giving in these three. One is the graciousness of the Father and the other and the joy of, of salvation, but also then the idea of repentance and if we have time, we'll uh, look at another scripture as well. I think we know this story well enough. We call it the prodigal son. Well, first of all, let's look here. Verse 7, I want us to notice, I say unto you likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons who need no repentance. I don't know what your thoughts are about these parables that Jesus gave. The, but repentance is mentioned here, and then we go down to verse one. that was the first one there was with the lost sheep, and then we talk about the lost silver. and down at the end of that verse 10 he says, "Likewise, I say unto you, I say, yeah, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of angels over God of God, over one sinner that repenteth. And so he says, there's joy over one sinner that repenteth." So again, this repentance keeps coming through here. I don't know what you would have said was, you thought the theme of Jesus here, but I want to pick out this aspect of it especially. And then we have, in starting in verse 11, the parable of the lost son. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger one said, give me my inheritance. And he w- went and spent it. And, and so I won't read that. I suspect we know that, but I want us to be able to look at it to refresh our memory. And if I say something wrong, feel free to correct me here. But I want us to think about repentance and what needs to be repented of. Of course, sin needs to be repented of, and it's talking here, first of all, about repenting of going our own way. Now, I, what were, what are the, what does the young son need to repent of? What did he do that was wrong? He went out and spent money, okay? Is it wrong to spend money? (laughs) Okay, okay. Okay. Okay, Okay. Okay. riotous living, okay, Mm mm-hmm. He spent money lavishly, riotous living. Okay. Any other sins you see? Okay. Say more. Anyone can, but yeah. Wow. That's nice. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting aspect. We we can read over that and maybe not think about that, but essentially, yeah, that's sorta of where he was at. And so, uh, maybe wrong timing there he uh had that that he thought of there, giving the wrong time. Okay. And why did he want that money? What did he want to do with it? We know what he did. He said he spent it on lavishly, and so he, also the wrong motive, I think sometimes we can categorize, and maybe it's easier to keep it there with the son, and what he actually did, the action, instead of the the category of it, because sometimes that's a little more, what am I doing, comes a little more, am I looking at things in the wrong time, the wrong motive, or maybe the wrong use, he used it for himself. And we said he had this riotous living, so he had a wrong lifestyle as well. I've kind of categorized it in these four ways that he needed to be repenting of. And so what were the effects? The effects of his own way, let's look at that. The effects of his own way, first of all, we see as we read down that he came on hard times. He comes on hard times in verse 14. He spent it all, and there was a mighty famine. And he's in one. So there are hard times, and so in one, what does he do when he's in one? Looks for a job. For a job. Okay, good thing to do. And where does he find one? In the pig pen. In the pig pen. Okay, and it's it's interesting. There, he is there. And he says in verse 15 that we read that he joined himself to a citizen of the country. He was in a, I think Jesus was, threw a lot in here. We have to be careful about how much we take from a parable. But he joined himself, he was in, he was not in his homeland. He had gone away to another country, away from, it's the idea of away from God also. And now he joins himself to a person of the world, to a citizen of this other country. And as he's feeding the pigs, it didn't satisfy everything. He's still in hunger. He recognizes where he's at, essentially. And he comes to this realization, and he says, You know what? My father's servants have it better than I do. And so he makes a decision. His decision is... Uh, what are, what's part of his decisions? Okay, yeah. He says, I'm going to go back... What else? What other decisions does he make? I'm going to be honest, to be honest okay? He says I have okay. Uh-huh. He just he just wants to be a servant. Okay, just wants to be a servant. Mm-hmm. He decided not to demand his rights. Okay. Yes, he's not demanding his rights. And so he goes with this confession. He's honest. And he says, you know what? I'm not worthy. I've, I've taken the wrong turn. I've gone the wrong way. I I am, as it were, not able to save myself. If we put it over in what Jesus is telling this, as he tells us parable that we are not able to save ourselves. And he's, yeah, he says, I desire, and I was trying to figure out that word. I'm not sure if I'm settled on that word yet or not. But he says, he's thinking about this and he says, I want to be a servant of my father. He doesn't demand it. He doesn't say, I have to be. He doesn't demand to go back in his position. We'll look at that later. But he says, I will go. So he's going to take some action. He's not just going to sit there and say, well, you know what? I just sit here and wait for my dad to come. Maybe uh, he'll show up. But let's look what repentance is not. What did he not do? He didn't ask, first of all, he didn't ask to be restored to his position. we said some of these things. He didn't say, well, you know what? <sighs> yeah, you're right. I messed up. Could I be a son again? No, he says, I'm going to go back and ask to be a servant. And so he doesn't try and manipulate things to make things how he wants them. He, he doesn't try and, and work things around and say, well, you know, my name is still your name. You know, I still have still the same name. Could I? And, and, you know, and try and work things out. But instead, he comes back humbly and says, I want to be a servant. Could I, would you make me a servant? That's his attitude that he comes back with. Totally different motive, different attitude than we saw when he left. And what's the father's response? And I think this is the second theme. One is of repentance and the other is the graciousness of God, our father. The father's response. How would you categorize the father's response? Okay, received him how he was. Okay? Compassion, Compassion. okay? Says, no okay. That's that's the son's response. Mhm. Or the son's coming and the father's response. Well, son, you spent the 300,000 I gave you. I don't know what's what's life like in Oh, we're in Lancaster County. The million I gave you. (laughs) Uh, I'd categorize it also as forgiveness. He doesn't say, you know, he doesn't come and remind him of the mess that he made and the wrong decisions he made, but he comes back and uh, someone mentioned he receives him. He accepts him. And... Uh, wants to bring him back and as a matter of fact he not only does he uh, what else does he do here one thing is he he goes back he sees him afar off and he he runs to meet him he ran what's that Okay, so he, he brings it back and he says there's a sense where the father wants to restore. He's in a restored relationship, and he says my son shouldn't be shabbily dressed like you are, feeding the pigs. I, I doubt that he had very nice clothes as he was feeding the pigs. And and he says to him, you know, bring a bring good clothes, bring a good cloak here for him. And also he makes a party. Let's kill the fatted calf. Now, you're all farmers. I'm not. What's a fatted calf? some of your farmers the best one you have have. is it true that prime beef is raised with grain and no hay is that correct It it tastes better that way okay i don't know i have these ideas but like i say i'm not a farmer nor the son of a farmer i don't know how far i'd have to go back
1: <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, that one, that one was put aside for a very special occasion. Okay. I would assume that this one particular one was put aside for women's something.
0: Okay. I think he was fat. We like the to fatten one in the butcher. Mm hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I think they were, he had this one fattened for women's something. Something special. So okay okay. hmm. How long can you keep a fatted calf is the one thing I wonder cuz you don't know when he's coming back the son. Yeah. And then rejoicing he says let's throw this feast. We're going to kill the fatted calf and we're, we're going to have a party here. You have to remember they didn't have freezers. Yes. And
1: so it was also have fresh tender good steak or whatever.
0: right then. Hmm. 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 Okay. So, what's the alternative to repentance? We look as we go along here at the older brother. Then also, and I'd like to include this again. Repentance mentioned on all three of these here. Of the uh, not mentioned as a word, maybe in this one, but in the other two it's mentioned. And I, do you remember who he was saying this to? Jesus was telling this to the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's it, interesting to me to think about, well, well, this last one, especially in this third one, he, the brother comes home and he sees what's going on and he says, hey, what's, what's going on here? And I'd like to think about what maybe a lack of repentance looks like. First of all, He was suspicious of this joyfulness. He says, a party, what's what's going on here? Um, I I wonder if he had in the back of his head that maybe the brother would come home sometime and what was the response going to be? I don't know. And he calls one of the servants, verse 26, and asked him what these things meant. And he says, your brother's come home. Your father's killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. And He was happy. Is that how your Bible reads? No? Angry. Okay. Yes. He was angry. And, uh, of course, if we keep anger, it's going to be bitterness. And then what did he do? He said, oh, fatted calf, good meat, I'm going in. I'm going to enjoy this and take a lot of it home with me. Stick the cake in my pocket. Yeah? No? No? He's angry, he would not go in. He wouldn't. Well, what, what, what benefit does that do? He's not going to get any of the cake. And the meat. Okay, the father comes out. And so I I wonder, can we categorize that as kind of manipulation? He says, I'm not going to go in. And by the fact that he wouldn't go in, the servants say, hey, your son's out there. He won't go in. What should we do? And so the father goes out. And the father talks to him and says, this is just right, that we should celebrate that your brother is home. He was dead. He was, uh, there was no communication. There was, there was no communication And here he is. He's back. He's he's not hurt. He's come back. He wants to be here. He's, He's got a good attitude. It's just right that we should celebrate. And what does the older brother say now? He starts with this in verse 29. He says to his father... These many years I served you, neither transgressed I at any time your commandments, and yet you never gave me a kid that I may make merry with my friends. Now, they're killing the fatted calf, but he says, you wouldn't even give me a kid. But as soon as this, so your son has come back and devoured your living with harlots and has killed the fat. you've killed the fatted calf, and the father says, well, you've done all these things. Now, how would you categorize what the son has just said? What would you call it? Jealous, okay. True, True. okay. There was some element of truth in there. Uh, At least the fact that the other boy had gone away and wasted. Was it true that he never could have had a kid? Okay. The father speaks to that. Later, and and so he says, "All these years I served you. uh, Is that what we like to hear? These years I served you. I didn't trans. I never did anything wrong. I never disobeyed you. Any of your commands. I've always done everything right." (laughs) Sounds self righteous to me. Uh, He's saying. You know, I've I've been the perfect, I have been the epitome of a perfect son. I always obeyed all your commands. I stayed here with you. I worked hard. I did the things right. I didn't waste your money. And his attitude is one of condemnation. Not just to his brother, but also even accusation toward his father. Where he says, and you, do, do you read that? What kind of, you know, it's easy to read over sometimes without really thinking about what Jesus is saying here. But he says, <coughs> You never gave me even a kid to rejoice with my friends. And so I talk about this as the alternative to repentance because I kind of look at the young man, he had done wrong. But now this older brother has some need for repentance too. Because of his attitude, he's saying, hey, I've been doing things right. I've been looking good. But what's his heart really like? Is he really there and walking with the father in relationship? See, if he had been in good relationship with the father, wouldn't he have known that he could have had a kid? He could have had it with his party. The father says, hey, everything I have is yours. Because I gave your brother what he... what what was his, and and it's gone. But, you know, everything I have, it's all yours. And he said, you could have any time. Do we sometimes walk with God that way? Say, God, why don't you give me? And maybe we sometimes don't realize what God is providing for us and allow and enjoy what he has for us in the time do we? And the other question I have is how do we respond when someone may be going apart, going away and comes back when they respond? Do we rejoice or are we suspicious? Are we still holding people at arm's length? Are we trying to manipulate things so that I look good and talking about the thing, good things I've done? You know, I, I've done things right. And that person, well, you know, or, or do we rejoice with the Father? Do we rejoice with the Father, or do we kind of hold back? So what was his need for repentance? He needed to repent of self-righteousness, of despising his brother, and looking down on him. And, and also, I wonder if there was kind of an attitude... Because of what he says, and, the, and then his father 's response and says, "Son, every thou art ever with me, all that I have is yours. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this. thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. I wonder if the brother was kind of hoarding you know i don 't want to use I, he he could have killed the kid and had the the party with his friends, but he says, "No, nah, that would that you know we wouldn't have that kid then." And so maybe he had a, had a wrong attitude, and he was kind of stagnant in that because he wasn't willing to rejoice. He wasn't willing to walk that way. Yes. Yeah. The, in my, my understanding of it, with inheritance, and maybe it was different in those days. But today, we would do that upon death. And so essentially, what the Father was saying is, when I pass, everything will be yours. It was the Father's now, but it will be His. Anything that's here is going to be the Son's. Well, is he, that? Said it in, he would have said it in past tense. already would have been under the ownership of the son. Okay. What do you think? Mm.
1: Because his son
0: owned the calf. Okay. Because
1: everything, his brother had taken all his inheritance away. Everything he had was his son.
0: Yeah, in my mind, he hasn't given it. And I, I, yeah, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I know a couple of your pastor's names. <laughs> Teaching. Well, no, it's it's good to think about, but yeah, I I don't know. I still because of the father's response, I I, I think the older son is struggling there with especially the self righteousness that that part of it. No matter what, that, that definitely the condemnation and self righteousness and judging um, that we need to be aware of. Maybe we'll have thoughts. Let's take a break and sing some songs, and maybe you'll have thoughts after we come back.
1: Turn to song number 222. And you can turn to song number 517
0: A lot of times I'd like to hear the rest of the story, especially with this one. It feels like Jesus, in the first two parables here, kind of completed them, finished them, the coins found, and I often wonder if his older brother didn't repent and and get on board with what's going on. But then I also wonder if, in the context of thinking that he's talking to the pharisees and the scribes and their complaint was that he was sitting with sinners he was sitting with publicans and it seems he left this almost about this older brother and where it was at for the pharisees and scribes to think about how they were responding to those who were coming to jesus they they were not availing themselves of the messiah that was here but they were rejecting that and almost like this older son was and so that's the context of where i put them it is again as a parable and so we don't know about this son so i don't know maybe yeah maybe you have more thoughts especially about the older brother here
1: Mm. hmm And I'm and I have a hard time reconciling that in my mind is I need this parallel. Because the older son doesn't appear to be repentance. hmm But you need it in just the same way the older son hmm
0: <clears throat> And we all have to see our need for that repentance for salvation. Mm-hmm. And again, we have to be careful how far we take parables because Jesus is teaching. He's especially teaching of the need for repentance and of the grace of God, our Father.
1: It's a really good picture of grace. For it is. For the Father to reach out to the Son and just take advantage. Like it's, it's like no doubt in that culture would have considered grace. Mm-hmm.
0: there there are a lot of some parables and some stories in the scripture that i wonder about the rest of the story like the rich young ruler you know did he yeah he went away sorrowful but did he thought, think about it and say you know what <laughs> Did he come back? We, we don't know these things, okay? We're not told. And so, I guess we don't need to know. Not only do we need repentance for our own way, which, you know, it, it can almost be, I wonder sometimes what's our thinking, what's our perspective of a person... Okay, when when I, okay, here's here's some of my story. When I when God began to call me in sal, about salvation, to make Him Savior and Lord of my life, my response was to try and be better, to do good, to do right, and to to you know I, I'm I'm more or was more of a compliant person. Some people may not believe that about me, but there are a lot of things that people don't believe. About me because we changed, but that's okay the uh you know to to try and do good, other people when God calls them, they go the other way and they re they just rebel, which is worse okay. Paul said he was least of, he calls, he calls himself the least of uh, the greatest sinner. Uh, I, I wonder, I was reading that one day and I was like, you know, when I was trying to be good enough to be acceptable to God without accepting Christ's death, I was at the greatest. That, that's almost, that's as great, if not a greater sin than rebelling against God. And I wonder if that wasn't part... Because that's what he was trying to do. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, he goes through his whole list of all his credentials of how he's pretty good. And and he's righteous. Pharisee of Pharisees and all all this stuff. And yet he says he's the greatest sinner. Now, because he persecuted the church. But why was he doing that? Because he thought that was the way... That was the right thing. But he was rejecting the Messiah, the Savior. And, And so... They're both wrong ways we need to receive. But I think sometimes we look at because it doesn't look as bad. You know, they didn't go out with the harlots. They didn't go out with these things. And for a while, you know, they, you've probably heard of the, the pamphlets. Uh, what is it um, from Mish, uh, Pacific Garden Mission? The, uh, what's it called? They, they have stories of people who've... Unshackled, yes. Have you read some of the stories from Unshackled? No, you never heard of Unshackled? Anyhow. They, and, you know, it's all the story of the people who have gone, and sometimes we have these stories of people who have gone far away from God. But how, how much even better if we haven't gone away, but at the same time we've gone away if we've tried to be good enough to not need Christ's death for our salvation. We don't say it that way, but that's what's really going on in our heart. And I think that's where the scribes and Pharisees were at. We need that initial salvation, we need that initial repentance, but also as I read, let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter 7. I'd like to look here at a little more of, I was just looking up and studying the, the idea of repent repentance. It was the message of John the Baptist. It was the message of Jesus Christ. In Matthew 3 we have John the Baptist, In Matthew 5 we have Jesus Christ saying repent. Repentance is necessary. It was the message of the... Apostles there on the day of Pentecost. It is the message of the gospel of repentance and for salvation. But then also here, Paul talks about maybe he should have repented. In verse eight, he first of all starts off here and he says, "For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent." Kind of interesting. This word repent, uh, he, he change. Though I did repent, for I perceived that the same thing made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now rejoice that you were made sorry, not because I made you sorry, but he says because you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. And then he goes on and talks about something. He, he says that, um, well, let's read on here. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to, and, and the word salvation there is the idea of safety, of continuing to walk in that safe relationship with God, not to be repented of, but to the sorrow of the world worketh death. Behold, you sorrowed. Remember, this is his second letter to the believers at Corinth. He's talking to Christians here, and he's saying, when I wrote to you you recognize your need for repentance. It was an ongoing repentance, and I'm not sure that this is initial salvation, but we need to repent as we recognize where we are out of sync with God. Sometimes as we go along, that continued sanctification is needed because we, we recognize I was shaming my children. I didn't recognize that it was wrong, that it was sin, but when I recognize I need to repent of it, we need to walk in a right way. Let's think about this godly sorrow here. Uh, my question is, when others around you, and I just want to think about sorrow, do, do you sorrow at what God sorrows? That's what I want to ask you. Do others know that you're a child of God because of how you respond when uh, the other people see things? What is the effect of your sorrow? I remember one day I was at the paint store, and I, that, that paint store isn't there anymore, but I used to go in often at the end of the day and pick up my supplies for the next day, the paint that I needed. If I didn't have enough, I knew for the next day I'd go in at night. And I was there one evening, and he was mixing up the paint for me. And we were talking, and and I generally have uh, a pleasant expression. I I, I think it's, to me, it's kind of a testimony of, hey, I serve a God who's really good. But anyhow, the, um, and, and so we were talking, and then two other men came in. And I don't know what they said, but uh anyhow, I left. He, I got My paint was ready, so I, I got my paint and left. And came in the next evening, I needed something more. And he said, yeah, I told him. He doesn't know much about uh, Christ and even less about um, Mennonites and, and Anabaptists. And he says, yeah, the guys were in here last night. And, and what they said, evidently they said something that was out of color or something. I, I didn't remember even then. And he said, I told them that they need to be careful what they say when you're in here because he said, Be careful what you say when Larry's in here, he's a Mennonite priest. Like I said, they don't know much about our faith. But uh, and and I and he said one of the other one of the other painters said, Well, he was still smiling. And I thought, you know, do I express sorrow? Do I sorrow what God's sorrows? Do I does it show? Does do, does does our sorrow show as we go through life? Let's think about this godly sorrow here in these three verses, these four verses that we read here, uh, especially here in verse ten. He says, um, "I turn the page." Here we are. As sorrowful, he says, "Yet rejoicing as poor yet making rich, as having nothing yet possessing all." He says, how are you going to uh, sorrow here? My question is, it says that worldly sorrow works death. Oh, I was in chapter 6. I was trying to figure out. I didn't think that was right. But he's talking about sorrow there. But 7, godly sorrow works repentance to salvation. But then he says, the sorrow of the world works death. How does sorrow work death? Let's look at that a little bit. I'm just going to give you some examples. If you want to look these up later, you can. We won't turn to these. For time, but Judas, Judas, he. It says he repented that he had betrayed God. He, he repented, but he he went and and ended. He didn't. It was. It brought death. The rich young roller. Like I say, I hope he changed his mind. But as far as we're told, it led to this the, no relationship with God, not following him. Death. The children of Israel. They come there and they have this choice in chapter 13 and 14 of numbers and they they said no they had this they they didn't want to go in they were going to stone the one the two that were saying we should go into the promised land and so then they decide no we're not going to go and God says well 40 years and they said oh then we're going in and Moses said no don't go and they said yes we're going in what was their problem their problem was they weren't submitting they weren't walking in obedience to God It wasn't just the action, but it was what was under there. And so they were still rebelling. They were still disobeying God in that. And so they wanted to continue to walk this way. They went and there was death. How many of them died that day? I forget. And then they all died there, the 40 years in the wilderness. And so it brought death. Esau, though he sought it with tears, he he repented. But I'm wondering, you know, what was his core problem? We know that he came in and swapped his birthright, as it were, for a bowl of soup. Was he valuing the things of this world more than the lasting things of spiritual life? Was he? And and we don't know, and we're not the judge, and that's okay. But just thinking, it can bring, does bring death. So let's look at godly sorrow then. Godly sorrow plus repentance, he says... Godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, to this safety. And, and he says then in verse 11, You sorrowed after a godly sort. Yeah, what well, carefulness. Well, we'll get there. But let's look at this first. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, if, if you look at this, godly sorrow needs a perspective of holiness, of, of right living, of a separation of this cleanness. And if you go back into chapter 6 there, and verse 17 and just start reading you'll see these things here he says yea what carefulness a carefulness to please God not a legalism trying to please God so that I'm good enough for God but rather it's a because I love God I'm going to do this you know do you enjoy pleasing your wife man I, I trust so because we love them. It's not that we're trying to please them so they love us. No, that's not. It doesn't work that way. Uh, it, it's not the motive. I hope for you. It's not, but a carefulness to please God, or vice versa. There, that's you, ladies, can switch that one over. I think for uh, there. Yea, what clearing? He says you uh, have walking with a clear conscience, and yea, what indignation, uh, a grief over sin, it just. Uh, the awfulness of the sin, looking to uh, the holiness of God, and, and therefore a fear to disobey. Yea, what fear? Yea, what desire? A desire to follow God, to walk after Him. He says this is what godly sorrow it leads to. Godly sorrow with repentance leads to this. And godly sorrow, it will be combined with repentance. Yea, what zeal? A zeal to serve. What revenge? A desire for justice to... Of uh, to attack the enemy and recognize who the enemy is, and that is Satan. Godly sorrow leads us to worship God and to serve others. Worship God and serve others. And that's where godly sorrow is going to lead us to. Also in Second Chronicles 7.14, what does it say? If we humble ourselves... Instead of pride, saying, well, I'm pretty good, but having a yieldedness, that gloss and hate, uh, of walking humbly with our God. Then there is healing with repentance, when you turn from your wicked ways. That's what he says. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn. The idea of repentance. Turn from their wicked ways. He says, then I'm going to hear from heaven. I'm going to forgive their sins, and I'm going to heal their land. And so this repentance is necessary for ongoing in our life. Yes, we have the initial repentance, but then as we walk, we recognize I'm not in line with God's Word, with who God is. And so I change, I make these changes. And that as we walk with God, and He changes in us, and we allow that change, and we work with Him together, that is the continuing of sanctification. Godly sorrow also is going to grieve and change at the root. I talked about the children of Israel there in Numbers 13 and 14. How they, you know, they didn't want to go in. And so they saw the sin as not entering the promised land, not going in and beginning to fight the battles. But their core sin, as I said, was disobedience. It was not listening to what God said. And so when God said you're gonna they they realized the right, the the result and the consequence of not obeying God was going to be 40 years in the wilderness, and they were all going to die, everyone over 20. They said, oh, we'll go do this then. Well, their, their sin was disobedience and not willing to submit to God. The, Paul says he is least of the apostles. He calls himself that in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. He talks about how he looks at himself, and this is his attitude, because of the way he had lived. He says, I am the least of the apostles, and I am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but because of the grace I of God, I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon me. Notice here, he doesn't say, because I was a Pharisee, because I was born right, because I did right, because I wore my phylacteries right, and all these things. See, he, he had given that before, but he says, I count them as what? Dung. Dung. Manure. You know, he, he says that's where it's at. I, I'm the least of the apostles because I was trying to do it on my own instead of allowing God to to be the one who's going to be Lord of my life and bring salvation to me. In 2 Samuel, David numbers of people and he recognizes his sin and he sees the consequence. Does he say, oh God, this is awful, just stop this. No, he says, I have sinned. So much that when he comes to Aruna, and Aruna says, hey, here's the, you know, have the wood, here's the wood, here's the sacrifice. He says, no, I'm not going to sacrifice that which I have not. Paid for. It's going to cost me because I'm the one that has sinned. David, again, with Bathsheba. Whoops, there we go. With Bathsheba. The, the child is sick and then dies. And one of the things I believe that... We'll talk more about this tonight with tomorrow night with our, our next subject. But one of the words, and I thought I highlighted it more than I did. I need to make it bigger, fun, or something. Is this whole thing of accepting... Accepting that God is king. Accepting that God's way is the right way. And part of repentance is, is a recognition that my I am not Lord of my life. He is. And to walk that way continually. And accepting sometimes the consequences. David accepted the consequence of the child dying. And he learned in those times as well. He didn't demand removal of the consequences, but he he accepted that. How do we walk? Do we walk in true repentance? That's the challenge that I want to leave with us. That we need repentance for salvation, and we need to continue to repent as we walk through life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can call you Father because we've walked our own way. Maybe it didn't look like the younger son. Maybe it looked like some of the self-righteousness of the older son. But we recognize we all needed you for salvation as much as the next person. And Lord, we thank you that you've welcomed us with open arms. You've come to us. You've invited. You've made a way. And Lord, as we've received that, we thank you and praise you. And may we walk in an understanding Of the blessings of that. The blessings of being your child. Being part of your family. And resting in that. Lord, may we also, we we just ask you to guide us. To continue to allow you to work in us. And change us to be more like you. That the world may know you. And the power of your resurrection. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.